Welcome to On the Journey Conversations, sponsored by the Christian Women's Leadership Center of Women's Missionary Union. I'm your host, Sandy Wisdom Martin. Every May, we celebrate the organization of Women's Missionary Union, WMU. This year, we turn 134 years old. A few months ago, I attended Founders Day at my daughter's university, and in the midst of a gazillion presentations, the archivist was the keynote speaker. When I read that information in the program, I groaned because the university was turning 125 years old, and I thought we would be there all afternoon. But he really made history come alive. I've chosen to use this podcast to help you understand how WMU was developed 134 years ago and why we are singularly devoted to missions. To understand today's context of WMU, we have to go back in time. William Carey has long been called the father of the modern missionary movement. Even though a man named George Lyle left our shores 10 years before Carey left England, Carey, a British-born pastor, was tending his congregational flock, but because the pay was lacking, he also worked as a grammar school teacher and as a shoe cobbler. But God gripped his heart for the lost, particularly the lost beyond the borders of his own country. He came to understand the Great Commission as his own personal mandate to take the gospel to the nations. He wrote a pamphlet and challenged the leaders of the Northampton Baptist Association to begin a society for propagating the gospel among the heathen. Now, we may not word it exactly the same today, but that was the start of the very first Missionary Baptist Society. In 1793, Carey arrived in India and spent 40 years there. Well, what in the world does that have to do with the start of Woman's Missionary Union? In her historical writings, Alma Hunt said, The same missionary impulse which sent William Carey from his cobbler's bench to a spiritually destitute land was stirring in the hearts of America. She goes on to say that less than a decade after Carey went to India, Adniram and Ad Johnson left the United States for that same faraway land. You might be surprised to know that the Judsons didn't leave our shores as Baptists. But they knew they were going to work with Baptists. So they started studying why they believe what they believe about baptism. And turns out, after an in-depth study of the Bible, they were convinced the Baptist had it right. So when they arrived in India, they presented themselves for believers' baptism. Now I know what you're thinking. Judson was a missionary to Burma for 40 years, not India. Yes, he was, but he went to India first, and a year later, he went to Burma. A few days after the Judsons left for India, Luther Rice went as well, and when he arrived, he was baptized too. So all three of those missionary units were in India, excited to be there, telling people about Jesus, but they had no Baptist support. So they decided Rice would go back to the United States and try to get people fired up about missions to support what was going on in India. Out of his efforts, missionary societies grew. By 1817, there were 187. 
and 110 of those were women's organizations. There was a growing sentiment for missions. J. Lewis Shook gave his life to mission service after hearing Luther Rice speak. Shook then married Henrietta Hall when she was 17 years old. By the time she was 18, she was en route to China with her husband in 1835. That seems a little bit young to me, but that's what the history books say. Mrs. Shook was the first American missionary to China and the first Western woman to live in Hong Kong. Then the Triennial Convention crumbled 10 years later and the Southern Baptist Convention was organized for the cause of missions. They established the Foreign Mission Board with headquarters in Richmond, Virginia, and the Domestic Mission Board with headquarters in Marion, Alabama. The Shooks became the first missionaries to serve under the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the missionary spirit is growing stronger. Ten years after that, Roswell Graves, a 22-year-old doctor from Baltimore, went to China, and that was probably the impetus for Woman's Missionary Union. Dr. Graves would send letters back to the States asking his mother to pray for his work and for the Chinese. And he would say, probably much more formally than this, Hey, Mom, why don't you enlist other women to join you in prayer? And so she did. She organized the female missionary prayer meeting. And for 13 years, she prayed and she asked others to pray. In 1868, the Southern Baptist Convention was set to meet in Baltimore where she lived. So she invited all women coming for the convention to gather for the first meeting of Southern Baptist women in the interest of missions. There's a point to this history lesson. I want you to see very clearly we were not organized for the purpose of women getting together. We were clearly organized for the sole purpose of missions. That is our only why as an organization. Well, anytime women gathered for the SBC, Mrs. Graves tried to gather them for missions. They even formed a group of Southern Baptist women missionary organizations. It was called Woman's Mission to Woman. The name seems a bit stuffy to me. Well, at the same time, Dr. Tupper was leading the Foreign Mission Board, and he asked that there be a central committee of Baptist women in each state. And within three years, every state convention had a central committee of Baptist women organized for foreign missions. Dr. Tishner of the Home Mission Board didn't want to be left out, and he went to Dr. Tupper and asked if they could share women that are part of these committees. And Dr. Tupper basically said, no, find your own women. So Dr. Tishner asked women's committees to be formed in every state convention for home mission work. Alma Hunt says that both Tupper and Tishner were great missionary-hearted men. Both championed the organization of women's societies and young people's organizations for missions. So the Central Committee started gathering at the SBC. In 1884, a resolution was adopted that basically said, why don't we make this meeting permanent? At the same time, women of other denominations were organizing for the cause of missions. Our Lottie Moon was already on the field in China. She wrote an article published in the Foreign Mission Journal in December 1887. And a paraphrase of the article said, The Methodists and the Presbyterian women are doing better than us because they have an organization and a plan. We need to get with it. Lottie really put it out there. She talked about missionaries breaking down from overwork and loneliness and isolation. 
she talked about the inability to enter promising fields of mission. She concluded by saying, I am convinced that one of the chief reasons our Southern Baptist women do so little is a lack of organization. Why should we not learn from these noble Methodist women and instead of the paltry offering we make, do something that will prove we are really in earnest in claiming to be the followers of him who, though he was rich, for our sake became poor. So if the leaders of the board are for this and Lottie Moon is writing from China, basically saying, do this now, surely it was a piece of cake to make this happen. Well, not really. We are, after all, Baptist, and it didn't happen without some controversy. But finally, in May 1888, Woman's Missionary Union was organized in the basement of the Broad Street Methodist Church. Well, something was organized. We didn't get the official name of Woman's Missionary Union Auxiliary to the Southern Baptist Convention until two years later. Miss McIntosh of South Carolina was elected president of this collection of state central committees, and Miss Annie Armstrong of Maryland was elected corresponding secretary. There were two purposes for organizing. First, to stimulate missions efforts among mission societies, and secondly, to systematically raise money for missions. WMU was organized as an auxiliary or helper to the convention to undergird and promote the missionary plans of Southern Baptist. What does auxiliary status mean? Well, it means that WMU is not by constitution controlled by the convention. We have our own board made up of women elected by those states or territories in which they serve. It was quoted of Dr. Dillard in our 50th anniversary book. He was the director of promotion for the cooperative program. I like the way they live up to the name auxiliary. Bear in mind the fact that WMU turns over all the money it raises to the convention boards for disbursement. It certainly is an auxiliary to the Southern Baptist Convention. What was our first offering? Well, the home board asked us to help build a church for Cuba. Women were given a brick card. They had to get 20 10-cent pledges for every brick on their card. Throughout our 134-year-old history, one of our core values has been calling Baptists to generosity. They say if you want to know what people treasure, see how they spend their money. After our first offering to build a church in Cuba, we organized a foreign mission offering in 1888. We were asked to collect money to send two women to China to help Lottie. We raised enough money to send three. In 1895, we took an offering to pay down the Home Mission Board's debt. More than once, we helped pay down the Foreign Mission Board debt. One leader said, like all other women, I hate the three Ds, debt, dirt, and the devil. In 1916, the Foreign Mission Board's debt was $180,000. Franklin Love and George Truitt appealed to the women at their annual meeting. Suddenly, a woman rose and said that she wanted to give $5,000 as a thank offering for her husband, who she felt sure would give the money. I love that. A woman gave the $200 that she had saved for her burial. Another gave the money that she had saved in her retirement home. A state WMU secretary gave the $100 that she had saved to complete her college studies. A GA leader handed over her diamond brooch. Lila McIntyre China gave her only $10 and a long string of amber beads. Evie Brown of Tennessee promptly bought them back for $75 and 
and gave the beads back to the missionary. A woman called out that she had her husband's consent to give her wedding ring. The total in the offering plate full of jewelry, cash, and pledges exceeded $17,000. That amount in 1916 would be equivalent to nearly $400,000 today. In 1900, WMU set up and funded the Home Mission Board's Church Loan Fund. In a 1920 report, L.B. Warren wrote to the women and said, Please express to the gracious women who had done such wonderful things for our homeless churches the gratitude of the multitudes whom they have aided. Tell them the half million dollars loaned this year was possible because of them. The women continued to invest faithfully their resources in what they treasured because they understood why they were doing what they were doing. In 1919, WMU pledged $15 million for the SBC $75 million campaign and exceeded that goal. In 1920, WMU began offerings for the ministerial relief and annuity. It was annuity for the missionaries, and in that very first year of offerings, more than $56,000 was collected. WMU was instrumental in starting the cooperative program often referred to as the CP. But this was done at some cost. SBC leadership told WMU, you need to stop your domestic and international mission offerings, which are today the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. WMU said, no, we don't think that's a good idea. The leadership then said, then we're counting your offerings against their CP allocations. And WMU said, we don't think that's a good idea either. WMU really fought for those offerings and for the mission boards. Most people think the Lottie and Annie offerings have always existed in the form they do today. That's not the case. Did you know that WMU took the offerings and determined the allocations? In the 1940s, WMU began working with the boards to determine the allocations. In the 1950s, WMU turned over the responsibility of those allocations entirely to the boards. It wasn't until the 1960s that Lottie and Annie became churchwide offerings that everybody contributed to. This blows my mind. In 1931, 70% of the entire revenue of the Foreign Mission Board was given by WMU members. In that same year, 91% of the entire revenue of the Home Mission Board was given by WMU members. A small minority was supporting the majority of Southern Baptist mission efforts. In 1931, when the SBC met in Birmingham, WMU members gave 50% of the entire cooperative program that year under the leadership of Kathleen Mallory. In 1940, WMU pledged $1 million to retire SBC debts and exceeded that goal in 1943. In 1900, WMU President Stakely said in her annual address, Next to salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest blessing that God has conferred upon his people is the commission of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Without it, almost certainly our own denomination would long since have become extinct. No church 
has a scriptural right to exist apart from this commission. His commission has been our heartbeat. And because of that heartbeat, here are some things we accomplished through the years. In 1904, W.E. started the Margaret Home in which children of missionaries, both home and abroad, might live while studying in America. WMU was the first to promote vacation Bible school through its magazines and by offering training for teachers. WMU was the first to minister and witness among people of the inner city through Baptist centers and engage in camping as a means of religious education. WMU was the first to offer Southern Baptist women education for Christian vocations and the first to have an organized plan for soul winning. WMU was the first to grant college scholarships for missionary kids and the first to produce church program literature in Spanish. We are about missions discipleship, period. That's what we've done in the past, and that's what we're still doing. For more than 130 years, WMU has treasured the work that God has given us to do through the Southern Baptist Convention. We don't receive CP dollars. But we believe in the cooperative program and what we do in partnership together. We believe in our special offerings and our boards and our agencies and our entities. We believe in our associations and conventions and Baptist children's homes and seminaries. And we believe in the mandate that God has given us to make disciples of Jesus who live on mission. You know, we don't live in a fixed time in history. We are always pressing forward to the future that God has for us. The stories of our past, they help propel us. The vision that motivated women 134 years ago is the same today because it is God's vision to make disciples of Jesus who live on mission. And every generation must find their place in God's plan. What about WMU of today? We have always challenged Southern Baptists to generosity. We want people given to missions. Any idea how much we've gathered through the offerings we started? We've collected more than $7 billion through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. WMU has a database of more than 500 mission homes that missionaries have access to when they are stateside. We provide water filters and purification systems for every IMB missionary, and we've been able to expand that ministry, Pure Water, Pure Love, to help people get clean water worldwide. We support the work of our missionaries and over a thousand impoverished artisans worldwide, helping them find real hope through our ministry called World Crafts, a fair trade ministry. We have nearly 150 Christian women's and men's job course sites across the country teaching people life skills and job skills in a Christian context. And there are wonderful stories, stories like Akivia. She's a Christian women's job corps graduate who finished her education and started teaching third grade. Akivia said, Because of these organizations and the wonderful Christian people who have helped and encouraged us, My son, Mark Jeremiah, will not have to experience food insecurity or homelessness. Generational poverty ended with me because of all of you. Volunteers give nearly a quarter of a million hours annually, helping thousands of men and women gain life skills and job skills in a Christian context through CWJC and CMJC, 
Participants are required to be involved in Bible study, and people are coming to faith. We want all ages involved in missions from birth on. I teach Mission Friends for Preschoolers in my small church on Wednesday nights. My little town has one stoplight, one grocery store, no restaurants, but we will have 50 kids involved in missions discipleship every Wednesday night, and about half of those do not attend our church on Sunday. Throughout all our age-level organizations, we teach these missions characteristics as people develop spiritually toward a missions lifestyle. We learn about missions, what God is doing in the world. We support missions. We pray for missions. We do missions, and we tell others about Jesus. It's interesting to hear people's perspectives of WMU. You're an organization that advocates for women's rights, aren't you? No. We make disciples of Jesus who live on mission. Aren't you that organization that gives a forum for women to fellowship in small groups? No, we make disciples of Jesus who live on mission. Don't you offer those groups that corral kids where the boys race those cars? No, we're not a babysitting service. We're about making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. Aren't you about the social gospel and doing good works? No, we're about making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. Aren't you those little groups of old ladies who pray? Well, we're not just women. We're preschoolers, boys and girls, men and women. We want all ages involved in missions for life. But praying is big for us. We are about making disciples of Jesus who live on mission. We face challenges throughout our history, and sometimes people say, wouldn't it be easier if? And you can just fill in the blank. And I want to scream, of course it would be easier. Are you kidding me? Anything would be easier than what we're doing. We're trying to call Baptists to generosity when the world is saying, you deserve anything you want. You're worth it. Spend that money on yourself. We're trying to make people aware of God's work in the world in the midst of the most self-absorbed period in history. We are calling people to devoted and focused prayer when the average attention span is less than 10 seconds. We're asking Christ's followers to give a verbal witness to the power of Christ at work in their lives when they're scared to death by what people will think of them. We're challenging people to develop spiritually toward a missions lifestyle when they just want to keep all their options open. Yes, yes, of course, anything would be easier. But this is the sacred work that God has entrusted to us. And we do it because we believe the world needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to take the gospel to the nations. It is His work, and we join Him. He guides, we follow. We chase God with everything we've got. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Journey Conversations. Happy birthday, WMU. We'll see you next time.